All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. So I was thinking the other day, uh, you know, in the in the Christmas season and the enjoyment of what we share, um, uh, just of the the interesting nature of things. Uh, Laura, you know, got a call that her mom had passed away. Got a call from Hannah that a baby had been born. Uh, a lot of different things through this week, uh, emotions that pull you in different directions and in a, in a sense are somewhat magnified by the season that you're in because we come to this season with expectations. But in the midst of all of it, I, I've been in my own study, been working on Hebrews chapter 11 or uh, chapter 1. I want you to turn there real quick if you would. Uh, <coughs> it's a text that has captured my attention for a number of years because of how incredible it really is and how beautiful it is in its uh, description of Christmas. It's, it's the whole picture in really one sentence that's captured in four verses. And I'm, I'm going to focus our attention on verse 3. That's, where I, that's my aim to get there because I think that text is in abridged form the story of Jesus, the true story of Jesus. And the burden of my heart, the desire of my heart is to help us kind of refocus our aim uh, in this season to focus on what has lasting value. Because I'm, I'm, I don't know if all of you are like me in this way, but like, because Christmas starts so early in the retail environment, which is where, you know, we all spend a good portion of our life in that environment. And it's just like, by the time it's done, you're like, you're like done <laughs> with the uh, entrapments, okay, with the uh, seasonal effect. And uh, like, like right now, people are scouring stores because the stuff that two days ago was exceedingly valuable has become worthless. My brother has a hardware store. They have a whole Christmas decor section. They do a huge amount of business in that realm. But it's like, my brother says, like, when it's done, it's done. Like, all that stuff sitting on your shelf is suddenly worth about 80 to 90% of the value it had the day before. And there's a sense in which the way that some people celebrate Christmas leaves them kind of like feeling like a discarded Christmas tree at the end of the season. That which had great value is worth 25 to 80, 90 bucks all of a sudden is being chopped up and put in the mulch pile. And I don't want our experience of what we have sought to remember over the last few weeks and celebrate over the last few weeks to be like that. And the only way I see to get around that is to get back to the main thing, the aim of what this day is all about. And I just, over the last month and a half, knowing I was going to be preaching this day, this is the text that I could not escape. I tried, but I'm glad I couldn't. And I want to bring our attention here this morning to focus our attention this morning on not on what has limited value, what has shelf life, but what has eternal value. All right, and I think this will reshape and reform our hearts as we uh, put our attention in this place. So I want to read Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. <clears throat> the text says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. This is obviously a Jewish writer reflecting on Jewish history captured in the Old Testament, the beginning of the story of Jesus. So in the past, God spoke 
So God is a speaking God, and one of the questions then that we need to ask ourselves, am I a listening individual created by God? Do I have a passion to hear what he has been saying and is saying today? He spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. There is so much that can be said about that. I, just, I, I, I attract your attention to the fact that the Old Testament story is the story of Jesus in seed form. And he says, but in these last days, and I'm going to define what I believe the last days are in Scripture. I believe the last days that are spoken about in Scripture are the time from the coming of the Messiah till his second coming. That entire period of time in this text is spoken of as the last days. We, we live in the latter element of God's season of working on planet Earth. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. After he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior through his function, via his function. He became evidently more superior to the angels as his name that he inherited is superior to theirs. I'm going to focus our attention on the second half of verse 3. But to get there, I just want to set context for you. So I make the observation in the Old Testament, God is speaking, a message that is leading to Jesus. In the New Testament, the message of Jesus is being spoken more clearly. Okay, so there's a seed form that's growing into the fullness of what we know as the gospel message of the life of Christ. So if I want to hear from God, I need to focus my attention on understanding and listening to Jesus. Okay, so that I think is the, the kind of the beginning focus. His speaking, God speaking, finds its focus and climax in the person of Christ. And there's a sense in which we could say Jesus is the final message or word from God. He is the aim of all Old Testament teaching, leading to an understanding of what it is that Jesus came to accomplish for you and I. And so as I go into this text, I just ask you the question, am I, are you characterized in your life as a person who is listening to what God is saying? Do I long to hear from him as I read the scriptures? Do I long to hear about and from Jesus? So verse 3 starts by saying, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And I, I want to make just four quick observations about the sun, and then I'll move into verse 3. Okay, this text, you could break it down in a number of different ways, but I, I just... I see four powerful observations about Jesus that help us to understand identity. Who was it that laid in a manger? Here's what the text says. In these days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So everything rightfully belongs to Jesus. He is heir of all things. And it is through him that the universe was created. So when I look at that picture of a babe in a manger, the one that's there is heir of all things, rightful rule, 
but he is also the creator of all things, which moves him into an exalted position over all created things, which includes Tim Hoff and each one of you. He has a position of authority over me by virtue of the fact that he created me. He's the creator of all things and Lord over all things and over us. And then the text makes these two very powerful observations. It says, the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. One writer said it this way, what a ray of light from the Son is to the Son, Jesus is to God. He is the effulgence. He is the exact expression of God. So when I see the effect of the sun, I know that is the work of the sun. And when I see Jesus, I see God. He is, the, he is the radiance of God, the effulgence, the outflowing of God himself, now manifested in flesh. Powerful truth, mind-blowing. I can't fully illustrate it for you. I can only proclaim it. And then the text says that he is the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by the word of his mouth. And so when I look at Jesus, I am seeing God in flesh. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you have seen me, remember Thomas says, show us the Father, show us God. What does Jesus say? If you've seen me, you have seen Father. That, that's like, Drop to your knees territory. Glorious. The exact representation. Very God in flesh in his utter perfection. John would reflect on this. The writer of the gospel of John would reflect on this by saying this. John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when we saw him, we beheld glory. The effulgence, the exact expression, glorious of the Father, full of grace and truth. He speaks truth, but he is also gracious. This is the exact explanation of God that is given of Moses in the book of Exodus, that his father passed by him and held him in the cleft of the rock. There was this incantation of the angels. He is full of grace and truth. There is a mercy with the severity of God that come together in an expression that is glorious and beautiful in Christ. And as a result of all of this, we come to the conclusion very clearly that Jesus is not, as Islam says, just another prophet. He's the exact representation of God himself. That should humble us. That should blow our minds. And he came in flesh, though he is the rightful ruler. And the conclusion that you draw from that in John's writings in Revelation 4.11 is, because of that, you, Jesus, are worthy to receive glory and honor and power and blessing. You, the babe in the manger, created all things, and by your will they exist and have their being. He holds all things together, this text says, Hebrews 1, by the word of his mouth. Stunning. And amazing, glorious. And so John is concluding that he is the rightful ruler of the universe. He is deserving of all of our honor and all of our praise. The implications for us are profound. But I think as we think about that, we must all admit that we, every one of us, sins and falls short of the glory of God. The way God set it up that we would live under his rightful rule, 
gloriously obedient. But the truth is that that's not the way it is. All of us have a propensity. All of us have a tendency that is revealed in the reason for which Christ came. And the second half of verse 3 then goes after what I think is the aim of Christmas. This is the, the reason for which Christ came. Not just to give us display of God in flesh, but to do and accomplish something for the benefit of rebels like you and I. This text says it this way. After he had made purification for sins. And I'm just going to break this statement apart in a couple of ways. First of all, the aim of Christ coming. The truth that we celebrate today is that Christ came to make purification for sin. He came to make forgiveness of the depth of my sinfulness possible of what I am so painfully aware of in my own heart. He came to seek and to save Tim Hoff in his lostness and in his brokenness. The aim of his coming is to deal with sin. And I, I, I feel like we, we have to give sin a definition because the word is a bit of a snicker word in the culture that I live in. It's laughed at, it's scoffed at, the notion of it, having any seriousness, is pushed aside and downplayed by a very casual referent in terms of holiness and purity. I would, dis- I would describe sin by saying this. I believe sin is best understood in the culture that I live in as rebellion. It is me shaking my fist in God's face saying, I'll have life on my terms. And to an embarrassing degree, I find that tendency needing to be stifled and mortified in my life on a regular basis. We are, all of us, wounded and broken sinners who reject the holy and rightful rule of God expressed in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why I refer to Revelation 4.11. He is worthy of glory and honor, power and blessing, full obedience, everything. And I meagerly give him that. Two ways to live says it this way. We all reject the rule of God and try to live life our own way without him. To me, that statement is autobiographical. I want God. I want his blessings. I want his help. Here's my my other daughter says about my daughter interrupting at wrong time. She says, that's her sin nature. (laughs) It's probably my granddaughter rumbling in the background. So we, we, we have this natural tendency that's embarrassing. The thoughts you have, the feelings you harbor towards others, spite, resentment, things that you hope no one knows, but God does. And this, this essence of my sinfulness is something I need to, I need to grasp. With. I, I live in an age that doesn't want to talk about it. People want to talk about the love of God and make much of the love of God, and we should. But that love of God, if it is given to deserving, meritorious people is not amazing. Does that make sense? It's only amazing when I understand who I am that I can say amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's only then when I realize that I, am, I deserve the just wrath of God against my sin. That's what I deserve. Jesus came to make purification for my sin so that I could be cleansed 
and made a son, you can be made a son or daughter of God. That truth should overcome and overwhelm. He came, folks, to make purification for sin. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that to face judgment. Folks, for me to stand before a holy, just God as a sinner would yield death. That's what I deserve. I deserve the just wrath of a holy God for my sinfulness. We have lost this. We have made much of God's love. And when we do, we lose the value and the centrality of the message of Christmas. And that is that Jesus came to make purification for sin. Folks, if it's not that serious, he didn't have to come. But he did. Because my problem is desperate. And the remedy for it does not reside in my effort. What will a holy God do about my rebellion? Well, this text says, he, Jesus, came to make purification for my sin and for yours. This is the message of hope that I believe gives joy to the Christmas season. That I can praise his name forever. That I can worship and adore him. I can sing to him. Because I've been invited to do so. And I have been by his shed blood, pure and holy, fit to do so. Because the wrath of God that was coming in my direction was born by his son who became a man for that purpose to bear my sin away and to clothe me in his stunning, stellar righteousness so that I could become a daughter or son of God depending on your gender. His just wrath deserves a consequence. His love sends a savior. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, I believe best captures this truth. And this is a verse that I have for years meditated on and loved. He, God, made him the son, Jesus, to become sin for us, the one who knew no sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So that we could be purified from our sin by his work on Calvary's cross. He came, he was born with the aim of making purification for sin. That's why if in your celebration of Christmas you end at a manger and you stop there, you do not understand the reason for the season that we are celebrating. And it will end in a, in a, in a final collapse that is like a tree laying by the edge of the street unable to stimulate any affection to be tossed aside. So I beg of you to think about why he came. To think about it in light of your own rebellion, your own tendencies, your own secrets. And to understand that he gloriously came to become sin for you. Isaiah 53 says it this way. He came to be pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-being, what we deserve, fell on him. And by his wounds, in flesh, we are healed. But I want you to listen to this verse 10. Stunning. But Father was pleased to crush him. Because the just wrath of a holy God against my sin must be placated and satisfied. 
And it's not popular in our day to talk about the wrath of God. But I understand the wrath of God that's moving in my direction. I will not appreciate Christ like I should. I just think he's loving. He is also holy. It's a difficult, delicate balance that every parent faces. What it is to be a leader in your home with your children. And to not tolerate things you shouldn't tolerate. While saying to your child, and you always feel like you've got to clarify it, don't you? I love you, but. <laughs> okay, because that's what they need. And that's what's right. God couldn't just wink at my sin and cut me a break and grade on a curve. That's not just. Happens all the time. I've been pulled over by police and let go to my shame. And to my joy, simultaneously. Okay, when the cop lets me go for speeding, he wasn't just. Okay? It's not just. I did not get what I deserved. Not because he loved me and wanted to invite me home and care for me and meet all my needs. Not for that reason. But because he probably remembered himself. God in his justice never can look at sin. He never grades on a curve. And the consequences of my sin, Romans 3 says, is death. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of my sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He came to make purification for sin. That is the aim of Christmas. I wonder this morning, has this become personal for you? That's the question. The Apostle Paul made this personal and it never stopped being personal. 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. It deserves to be received and meditated on. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's it. But then Paul says this. He says, of whom I am self-consciously chief. Paul said, I, I never get past Christmas that leads to his death. Never get past it. Christ Jesus came to save sinners by making purification for your sin, by on Calvary's cross shedding perfect blood that blots out your sin record and leaves you standing saying, I am not holy and righteous, but I am perfected through the blood of Christ. He has canceled the debt against me. He has borne the wrath of God that was coming in my direction and set me free. It's the glory of the gospel. That's why we don't get up on Sunday morning and brag about accomplishments and why we're going to heaven. I don't entertain the notion that Laura Rader's mom is walking around heaven saying, what did you do to get here? I don't entertain that notion. It's the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. And everyone there is there on the same basis and terms. That's why heaven will be the most humble and glorious place ever. And that's why the singing there will be so amazing. He came to make purification for sin. And this text says after he had made purification for sins, he did something. He sat down. I want you to think through the verbs of this verse and then we'll finish. He made in the past complete purification for my sin. Which means I cannot and I need not make additions to the work 
of Jesus through a good life. I cannot and I need not. And I would dare say I must not. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory in anything like a glory in the cross of Christ. Make much in your life of what Jesus did for us. He made purification in the past. Complete, full forgiveness is available for every repentant sinner. That's why Jesus came. Religion and Reformation are no hope for sinners. Jesus is. And that's why we sing this song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground, self-righteousness is sinking sand. It will let you down. Our hope is found in Christ. And Christmas is about Christ. He came to make purification for your sin. And in the past, he made, as this text says, purification for your sin. So I ask you this question. When you fail, and we all do, do you hear a God who is speaking? Or do you yield to the tendency to smuggle performance into the work of grace? Do you... Try to get it right so that you can feel okay about your failures. You're going to have to do a whole lot of good to feel good about your failures. I have a better suggestion for you. Fall freely into the purification that Christ has already made for you. And find forgiveness and freedom from your sin and hope in Christ alone. You see, folks, I never have to be careful about sharing that message. I'm never going to come across someone who is too far gone to experience the full purification and grace of God. And I am so grateful for that. That's the message of Christmas. There's hope. Who you are, you, what's your story? It doesn't matter. For you, there is a Savior. If you're willing to listen, He is speaking. And I would beg of people, I beg of people, cling to the aim of Christmas. His aim is to give you forgiveness and hope. I ask you this question. When people around you fail, do you hear God speaking? That for them, in their failure, he has made purification. Do we practice the grace that we believe? Because I believe our lives would be so different if we would practice the grace of Christ. If what we experience would become our practice. And then this is my last thought. If God is so concerned about speaking to us, am I concerned about speaking for him? This, Jesus to sinners as hope for purification. Is that a driving desire of my life as I interact with people, all of whom are broken, all of whom fall short of the glory of God, all of whom are rebels and need hope, do I point them to a Savior who has finally made purification for their sin. See, folks, that's the message of Christmas. Jesus came, but he came for you. Jesus came to live the perfect life you could never live, to die the death that you deserve, so that you, by faith and simple repentance, could become a son and daughter of God. 
No sinner's gone too far. He's come to make purification for you. The objects of his affection are unqualified. It's not certain kinds of people. It's all who believe. It's all who repent. It's all who trust. And when they do in Christ, they find hope and forgiveness and a future. Father, would you help us this morning to freely and boldly embrace the message of Christmas? That he, your son, came in flesh to make purification for sins. Lord, let us love that truth and then let us live that truth out towards those in our sphere of influence. Lord, realizing that we are nothing more than rebels who have been redeemed by the loving, pure, glorious grace of God. Jesus, thank you that you came. Thank you that you came with a glorious purpose to make purification for my sin so that I could then come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in my time of need. Lord, this morning I confess to you I am a needy man and I am grateful for your grace that is greater than all our sin and that I can stand here this morning and plead with this group of people to all, not knowing their story, plead with them to find hope in the blood of Christ who made purification for every sinner, who believes and trusts and glories in Jesus. And Jesus, thank you that you were seated at the Father's right hand. This morning as we sing our closing song, our desire is to honor you and praise your name for what you have done for us. We pray for these blessings in the glorious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.